Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You're listening to the Sherlock's podcast, your guide to a more stylish life. Hello and welcome to the Sherlock's podcast. I'm Georgie Korshkol, Sherlock's founder and CEO. Today we have a special edition. It's the Parenting Podcast. And we're here to tackle some of the big challenges faced by parents of tweens and teenagers today. From social media to peer pressure to puberty, you name it, we're going to cover it. And to help me answer some of the big questions on these topics, I'm joined by Dr. Shardy, Head of Family Therapy at the Soak Clinic and GP and founder of The Face Bible, Dr. Raj, and Georgina Blasky, our Home and Interiors editor, and also a bit of a sage, an oracle when it comes to all things parenting. Mm. Uh, thank you, Georgina. <laughs> always wheel you out in anything parenting-related. Your children are now... 14 and 17. Oh, my God, 17. I didn't even say that. Yeah. 17. Yeah. Gosh. Just had a driving lesson. Wow. <laughs> wow. Gosh, well, you know it all. Um, and Dr. Shardy, can, can we talk with you? Welcome. Can you tell us a little bit about you and your experience when it comes to the tween and teen space? Right. So I'm a systemic therapist, a family therapist, um, but I specialize, well, my special interest is teenagers, actually, um, and younger adults. So anything from 12 years up to whatever age. They still believe that they're young. <laughs> don't, <laughs> be all, don't be all. I still feel, I still feel 27. Um, and, and you work at the Soak Clinic. I work. I'm head of child and family services at the Soak Clinic. If you don't know it, it's you know highly esteemed. Can you tell us a bit more about Yes. About so we're a does? private uh, mental health clinic. And we have the child and family um, service where we have lots and lots of highly qualified practitioners such as um, psychiatrists, random adolescent psychiatrists. We have clinical psychologists who specialize in different things, um, ADHD, neurodiversity. We have eating disorders specialists. We have OCD specialists, like specialists in every attachment difficulties in every kind of area. Anything you need help with. Anything you need help you with. We can, we, and then there's an adult clinic as well yeah. with the same specialties. Right, you have a great, great reputation. I've known of you for, for a long time. So thank, anyway, thank you. you so much for joining us. Welcome, Dr. Raj. Hi, thank you for having me. About you. So um, I'm Dr. Raj Aurora. I'm a GP in the NHS. I also am a private GP and I'm founder of my private clinic, which is the Face Bible. So there we see lots of different patients from, you know, babies all the way up to obviously adults. So I also see quite a few teenagers and young um, adults as well. And then we also do things like integrative wellness and um, skincare aesthetics. And we work really closely with the spa, which is at the Fairmont Windsor Park, which is where I'm based. And um, we work to do things that are going to bring wellness to families and wellness to, you know, uh, individuals. So we kind of work quite closely with them as well. So, yeah. Well, thank you, ladies. Um, it is a critical stage. Do you remember that film with Kevin Costner where he gets into a box and they wake him up 20 years later? Mm. I always wish I could put my tweens. I have a 12, 11 and six year olds. And I long to put my 11 and 12-year-olds into a box and wake them up when they're 21, hopefully with their mental health intact. It really is a critical, critical stage. It's a stage I'm sort of 
quite anxious about, in all honesty. Um, there's huge physical change, emotional change going on during this time. Georgina, 15, 17, you're in the thick of it. Maybe you're through the worst. Um, what? Oh, I don't know. Georgina, let's start with you. What suggestions do you have? How have you supported yours through these years? Well, I think what's been tricky for us is we hit it when COVID arrived. So that meant that we were spending a disproportionate amount of time with teenagers to what we should have been doing. They should have been out with their friends more, going to shopping centres and cinemas and having sleepovers and parties and going to their first party and having their first kiss and drink and all those things. And none of that happened. Mm. Obviously more for my daughter. My son was only about 11 or 12 when we had COVID. So I feel like it was a really weird time because her experience of entering teen years wasn't the regular experience. So we've then got to a point where we're kind of catching up. So there's been a bit of an acceleration. I feel like I've just sort of strapped myself in and gone along on the roller coaster (laughs) of it. But what I would say, my overriding feeling is teenagers get a really bad rap. And I think teenagers are so delightful and interesting and have kind of woken me up to so many aspects of the world. I feel like the sort of the curiosity they bring, the pushback they give. I've, you know, I know people say, oh, I've learned so much when I became a mother. And I feel I'm learning more being mother to a teenager than really? to a baby. Yeah. yeah, they're just really interesting. I love the chat. I think they're, they're sort of original thought. So I, I just think that that's my main feeling at the moment might change we'll see what happens when they're 21 yeah (laughs) that's exactly why I love working with teenagers so challenging I mean every session is amazing there's a real discussion and they challenge me and I can challenge them and I I just find it fascinating every session they're great I mean I agree the curiosity I love nothing more than sitting down and saying right let's learn about something together and whether it's we were googling the international space station the other day on holiday we're like god i know so little about this let's learn about it together and we were all asking questions and that was really fun that's the fun bit i agree yeah the pushback i find a bit harder um how do you support that it's quite emotional isn't it there's quite a lot of slamming doors and yeah eyes and stamping feet and that's very different i think from when they're sort of i've got a six-year-old she's happy all the time it's pretty straightforward you know, I feel like it's up and down and up and down. How how do you support them through those? Well, I mean, that's when they're building character, isn't it? And when they're separating from, like, if it's a girl, she's separating from you as her mother. So it's a very healthy thing to have that pushback. Because if she adores you and thinks that you're God's gift on earth, she's never going to separate and become her in person. And I see quite a few mothers and daughters, that's another specialty I have, where, you know, the the daughter is, they have a very symbiotic relationship and the daughter's like in her 20s and wants to live at home and wants to go to university in London because I need to be close to mummy. And, you know, that's not very healthy. So when mums say to me, my daughter is just impossible, always like, you know, challenging me and the pushback and I go, great. You know, it's fine. It's part of the growing up. It's part of the process. She is building her own character. She's building her own personality. She's becoming someone independent. Of course, there need to be boundaries. So you can't allow her to just do and say whatever she feels like saying. But um, but within boundaries, it's great that she's doing it. And I think what Dr. Shadi said is so true because I often see, you know, families come in, dads, mums with their teenagers, often daughters. Um, around that time, your hormones are changing anyway. So you're going to be having these pushbacks and sometimes you're not quite in control you might be premenstrual so you know your particular time of the month you're more pushing back more or you're arguing more and uh, you know parents come and say what's wrong with her and I think really trying to cement that that's a very normal developmental stage firstly is important 
And then I think reminding them that they went through that too. Like if we look back at when we were teenagers, we probably went through a pushback stage and also didn't need our parents or felt we didn't need them as much. And then you get through that. I mean, I'm like 35 now and, you know, with a little toddler. And now I do, and now I need mum again. So now I'm calling her and she's like, oh, you're back. And I'm like, mum, you know, I've had a really rough day. And she's like, yeah, you've oh. Had your, you've had your gap, yeah? yeah. I'm back in now. So you your have gap your, decade. That's it. You have your gap. You, you, you bring up your character. You become the person you're supposed to become. And then those relationships are still there. But like Shadi said, you ha- it has to be, it has to be, um, you know, it has to be there for you to grow, develop. And it's really normal, I think. Mm. I remember growing up looking at other people with their mothers and, and they they sort of told them everything. And I was just like, oh my God, that's like their mother all about who they kissed or or more. And, and that was not the relationship I had with my mother. And, and I always sort of thought, oh God, I'd love to be that open with my mother. And, and I remember then looking at my brother not that long ago and saying, you know, she's actually brought up quite independent children so perhaps I haven't done her enough credit for doing a really good job and and not that those other children haven't been brought up really well but I suppose I I then sort of realized she'd done what was appropriate and what I hoped to do for my children as you say I think it does change when you become a parent yourself I think you appreciate your parents on a whole new level but I think it's not until you become a parent yourself how how do you get that balance now right what advice do you have so that you don't overdo it I think boundaries are so important I want to be close I want my children to be open I I always listen to you Georgina with you know real respect for the relationship you seem to have with your children and the level of openness I remember you talking about pornography once do you remember this yeah and you said we were reading the papers on a Sunday and there was something in the papers and you thought right I'm just going to rip the plaster off and we're going to have this conversation right now so you were like well we need to talk about something and then you said your children asked you something about your own sex life and you were like no no that's private that's mine I'll talk to you about the theory yeah we're talking about sex but we're not talking about my sex life yeah sex and I just say and I I don't know I really admired I've never forgotten that conversation um (laughs) nor have I (laughs) it's out there I'm really sorry just pull it up again yeah um how do you, how do you, what advice do you have? I'm afraid a lot of um, mums these days, onto teenagers, um, they often say to me, I can't be asked, I can't be bothered. And that's the one thing you shouldn't say as a mum, because you can't be a mum and then just not be bothered. You have to be bothered all the time. I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, or they say, oh, if I do that, she will be so angry. And I go, and? They're almost afraid of, of the reaction of their daughter or their son. And I kind of think there's nothing to be afraid of. They'll be angry. You'll manage the anger. And it's because they don't have that close relationship. So, of course, then what they want to do is just discipline and forbid and say no. And you can't say no if you don't have a relationship. It's the same with a dog. I'm sorry to compare, but, you know, you can't say no to a dog and discipline a dog if you don't have a relationship with the dog and beat the dog and give it, you know. It's the same with children on a higher level. You have to build the relationship from childhood. You have to have these open conversations without forbidding. You know, you have to say to them, this is what porn is about. You know, this is what happens when you watch porn on TV or on, on whatever it is. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about what's the dangers of that so that they know that they can tell you everything. I have two adult daughters now, but they would, they would actually tell me everything, you know, and sometimes... And did they, you encourage that? Oh, yeah, because I never said, oh, my God, when they told me something. All right, let's talk about it. You know, those kind of exaggerated, you know, oh, my God, and how do, you know, how is this going to affect me? A lot of teenage girls say to me, it's always about my mum. Like, I tell her something, and she's like, oh, 
this reflects so badly on me or this has such an effect on me. And then that just shuts them down because the mother is not there for them. So I think it's really important to build that relationship from a young, you know, even if you haven't built it before, it's never too late. You can start building that relationship. And a lot of my sessions with mothers and daughters is about that, helping the mum to rebuild their relationship. And it works because the child has it in their DNA to want to, to be close to their mother. But it's hard to get the boundaries right, isn't it? I mean, I'm, you know, there was a level I didn't go to because it just was not accepted. And I, you know, I had my moments of being a bit naughty, but I knew not to push it too far. And I knew that if I pushed it too far, that would be it. And I, I would come in and my toothbrush would be out and I'd creep up. I knew that if I wake my mother up or I came in and was sick in the middle of the night or, you know, that that would just be it. And I respected that and I pushed it to the end, but I didn't push it over. I had been brought up to respect her and respect those boundaries but equally we, we're in a world where we do want to be close and we do want them to open up. Are there any sort of strategies? I mean people always say you know lying next to them on the bed at bedtime and not looking at them in eye to eye and getting in the car and you know we've heard lots of those. Are there any sort of tactics or strategies for parents of tweens and teens that you would advise for you know if you feel like you aren't quite as close as you'd like to be what, what, what I always say to patients and um, when they come and talk about this is that you know you can start at any stage like I said but obviously if you've got say a toddler so I've got three and a half year old and what and it's really exhausting doing this because obviously three and a half year olds are very curious but I try like 99% of the time even if I'm exhausted to listen mm-hmm. to him so he might be having around this morning he was asking me something about putting a car in my boot or something and I was talking to somebody else he said mummy you're not listening to me you know and I was like I stopped I said I'm really sorry mummy mummy didn't have a listening ears on and as exhausting it is you're, you're late you're running late you know you take a minute to say what is it that you want to say you listen and I think that in itself is building a, a sort of like a safe space for the mm. child to begin to feel that they can talk to you about anything how they're feeling we always have a chat before bedtime about good choices and bad choices so I'll say what good choices did you make today and he'll tell me, and what bad choices did you make? And do you think this was the good, the right That's thing to nice. do? That's nice. I can see myself having that yeah. conversation with a 12-year-old. But there's still well. a boundary. So if he's pushing it too far and he's asking, can I have chocolate for dinner? You know, he's going to get told off. And that, no, we're not having chocolate. But I'll explain why. So because it's going to do this, and you can have it after. And maybe we'll have that chat. So I think it's the same, it's the same concept, I think, you know, all the way through. And my mum... There's me and there's two sisters, and we have a brother. But my mum was so close to us girls because she would come to our room and I, I don't, didn't appreciate that till now. So every evening, she had four children. She used to work. She'd come and sit on each of our beds for five minutes. And she'd just ask us, like, how was your day? What did you do today? And something that was really, like, probably meant nothing to her. So I'd be moaning about my, you know, I was, what, 13? Oh, this happened today. And Leah did this. And she'd really take an interest. Oh, my gosh, yeah. did that happen? You know, blah, blah, blah. And I think that opens the doorway for you to feel as a, a tween, teenager, um, you know, early adult, to have those conversations. Georgina, what tactics have you used, you continue to use? Um, share them, share them, I'm all in. It's really interesting because I should talk about childhood. My mother's Danish, so I had quite, I would say she took quite a kind of hands-off approach, a sort of typical Scandinavian, <laughs> um, let them get on with it, sort of make mistakes and everything. And I think growing up in a time where we weren't monitored mm-hmm. in the same way, um, is uh was helpful and I now feel like she never checked my homework she didn't you know, there weren't that many rules. oh no nor did mine it was all very hands-off and yeah probably quite sort of um typical of 80s parenting which I think was quite by the way I still do no I still don't parenting. check my parent, my children's homework I mean no so I did the same approach, yeah so and I kind of feel like I well I always just want them to be safe I want to know I'll always want to know where they are 
you know, physically, if they go to someone's house, that's where I expect them to be. If they're not there, all hell will break loose. Yeah. But the trust is that they will be there. I do have things like a Life360 app so we can see where they are at any time um, and they can see where we are, which is kind of equally important if they're out. Um, it also will show me where they've been. So it's not that I use it to catch them out. It's just useful that if their phones died, I'll know where they last were. Yeah. Um, so there are some elements of technology that's actually really helpful. And it's open. They know that we're tracking them. And part of the rule of being out late is that that is never disabled for their safety. We live in London. We need to know where they are. For me, I just think it's really important to respect what they want to keep to themselves as long as it's um, not doing them any harm. Yeah. I think that having a level of privacy is really important for them um but them feeling if it's worrying them that yeah, they can yeah but, but oh 100% they know the door's always open they just need to know that that there is a listening ear without yeah. judgment as well i try and listen it's really hard it feels like when you're sitting on your hands but yeah of, i know with my daughter i can yeah. sense and i i can't do the the tell me yeah. does not like that does not work that is like the the shut has come down she's quite hard to get things out of in that way and then like chat about something and and i have to just gently play my stepmom was always very good she used to pick up my little brother from school and she'd be like but they told me what happened and he'd go oh mom i didn't mean to and she had no idea anything had happened <laughs> <laughs> she just had a sense that you probably got into trouble that oh, week so funny. Uh, and she just she'd say oh well you know if you don't if you don't want to eat the carrots don't worry just just you know leave them there you don't have anything else just and suddenly the carrots would go and you know she was just quite clever at not going into you hard and fast because that would make them recoil. And I've always sort of remembered that as a tactic. What about with boys? I mean, we've talked about girls. I mean, they're a different species, aren't they? I mean, I think with boys as well, you need to build that relationship. I think the thing is, if you forbid things, they're going to do it behind your back, which is the worst thing they can do, isn't it? So you need to make sure they don't feel that you're going to freak out when they tell you something. They will experiment. They'll be much more, you know, they're curious. They, they want to experiment. They want to take risks. Not the girls don't, but boys do probably a bit more. And it's okay, but you need to talk about it. So I had a close friend of mine who had four boys. And uh, they were quite wild, I have to say, quite, you know. And she would say to me, oh, you know, I've told them they're not allowed to be out. And they can't go to any parties. And I said, that's the last thing you need to do. You need to say to them, go to these parties. There's a risk that you're going to have, you know, lots of people who are drugged out around you and blah, 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 blah. If it gets too much, send me a text message. I'll call you. Pretend that I used to do this with my girls as well. Pretend that uh, I'm the one insisting you come home for some, for some reason, family emergency. You can roll your eyes and say, oh, my mom. And then you leave. And that's what they did. And, they, and it was great because they did use that. They you know, once she said that to, her, to them and said, it's OK, go out, experiment, do whatever you want. But... If you feel uncomfortable and you have that tingly feeling in your tummy that something's not right, let me know. And they did. I mean, she didn't believe it. She said, I never thought that they'd do it. But, you know, teenagers want to be, have boundaries. I'm yeah. sure your children love to know. And they might not want to be seen check. to lose from. Yes. That doesn't mean they don't want to get exactly. out Exactly. And I've heard that strategy before. And I remember actually when my daughter first started finally going to the, mm. the sort of the teenage party scene and just saying exactly that just blame it on me just i'm the excuse i yeah. don't i'll be the bad i don't you know, yeah it doesn't bother me at all we had that i said you can say your mom she said oh, everyone else has got snapchat and i was like i'm really you can say your Sorry, mom's mom. a real pain yeah. but she works in social media and and it's just she's not you're not having it just blame it on me so and she, she seemed really content with that yeah they do but they like boundaries you see children like boundaries children like to know that the parents are in control 
Um, a child who has too much power, a teenager who has too much power, boy or girl, feels very insecure and yes. scared because yes. they're not supposed to have the power. So, you know, I remember one boy, we had a session with the boy and his parents, and I was telling the father, you know, in nice, firm terms, um, that he should be a bit more firm. And the boy, 16, he looked at his dad and he goes, do you get it now? Be a fucking father. Do you get it? And he was shocked. He was like, wow. And afterwards, he said, can I see you on my own? And he came and he said, what happened there? Like, why, when did I stop being a dad? And we spoke about it. And he said, you know, at one point, I got really frightened of him. I got frightened of his reactions. And the more frightened I was, the more aggressive he became because, you know, they want some kind of boundary. Yeah. Stop me now. I, I think I mentioned it on another podcast with you. We had a behavioural expert come and spend some time with us. Anyway, I have a son with ADHD and various other neurodiversity challenges, although don't we all, frankly? I mean, <laughs> yes. It's a, it's a spectrum. It is. Um, and we had somebody in and it was really about... You know, readdressing the boundaries and just the transformation was so instant so instant I mean and yeah it's so simple but it changed so much so quickly um it was really really very interesting Georgina you've got a son yeah different strategies with him yeah yeah different so he's got ADHD and he's 14 and it is a different strategy I feel I have to be kind of firmer with shorter instructions and very clear which I then think sometimes can come across as being quite forceful um but I think he and I are very very close and therefore the respect is there enough that it works because yeah, he we're, knows we're, it's got a massive force field of love behind it yeah so I think that's okay and we're, we're gonna, yeah sorry to with it so I mean, my son would be sitting here next to me right now if it was up to him so if I'm going to give I have to be not aggressive, but very assertive. So it's really clear. So he's at, he's at a boarding school now and they get up to a bit of mischief. Obviously it's lights out, but they're all kind of sneaking around, playing little tricks on each other. Lots of kind of pranks, um, you know, sort of pranks with water bombs and like proper pranks. Um, all quite innocent and fun, but obviously it's going to get you in trouble. And you've had the odd phone call, you know, maybe, maybe he'd like to calm down a bit on that front. Nothing major. But it did open up the conversation of whatever happens, we need to like talk to us, tell us about it. You know, we're 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 all on the same team, so we're going to work together to sort of deal with it. Never be afraid to call, because my biggest fear is that he won't call. He'll be eaten up with anxiety and fear and stress, and that will lead down a much darker road than. Yeah. So I yeah, we, of, we're on the same team, and I can't help you if I don't know the facts. Yeah, and it's yeah. like it, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna endorse your behaviour. But I, I think we've got to work together to work out how to address it and move forward. I'm your mother. And I'm I still will you. punish you. I'm stuck with you. Yeah. You might and you're stuck, and also trouble, you're stuck yeah. with me. So, you know, yeah, you might lose your phone and you might lose your gaming or whatever. Like there will be, don't think there won't be a consequence, but let's at least try and tackle it together because that's what my biggest fear is them just disappearing off to their bedroom and exactly. just going into a very, very dark place yeah. and then you kind of lose them. And that, that with boys, I yeah, think is the worst. Very for me, with my son, it's like the the thing I worry about the most is depression in teenage boys and yeah. and because the statistics that. as well for especially yeah. with um, they're much more introvert. There's a there's a high risk of depression, suicide, anxiety, yeah. everything, and it's a really scary thing I'm, to read. I'm short of breath just hearing those words. I mean, that is what runs through my head in the middle of the night. Yeah. There, the, is is a teenage boy with and it runs university. it runs into the adulthood, you know, with boys, and I think. 
for boys that is the fear they're going to go they're going to recluse and go away and i think sometimes having repercussions with boys and actually that's the conversation you're having so you're still on their team but you're saying come on now you know that that wasn't right or whatever and you're setting those boundaries and they can't set those for themselves especially if they have neurodiversity challenges or adhd or whatever it might be they're going to find it they're anyway wild aren't they boys generally are mm. often all sorts and then they're going to be doing pushing those boundaries even more so i think actually having that conversation saying look your phone's going to go or you can't game or whatever it might be might just keep them in check a little bit more. And, and like, there is like, shouting. Like, yeah, there is shouting. shouting and door slamming and but I'm they not will be. to you for the rest of the day yeah, yeah, from yeah. there, not from me. Um, <laughs> that goes on. I need a time out. But like Shadi <laughs> said, they, they want that, you know, but they're not going to be as vocal as say a girl might be about that. Generally. But I have to say, I, I also feel that, you know, boys especially need a dad, mm-hmm. like a proper dad. You know, who who do things with them, do activities with them, go out, talk, have discussions, set boundaries. And a lot of fathers are absent. They're absent because they're working too much. And then when they're not working, they're too exhausted. So they have to go out and meet friends or be on their phones a lot. And, you know, a lot of mums say to me, my husband's not around. So a lot of the times I have to really encourage the dads to be a dad. And once they start being a dad, it's magical. I also think being a dad is, is and I've got a son who's, very different to my brothers who were very alpha and sporty and and my son is a different child and interested in different things and there's a sort of stereotype of a father isn't there of you know going to watch football matches or whatever it is um but it's also like the softer side that a father can bring and actually my husband is great at that I mean particularly with my girls and he will chat and chat to them and in a different way than my father did with me not to criticize my father he was brilliant in lots of ways but I didn't have that relationship with him I didn't have that relationship that I can open up with a man and and feel that safety of a father which I think is different to a mother and boys need that too don't they? I think it's a really important I was reading the book Raising Boys the other day and it was you know encouraging this softer side for boys and that being okay and having emotions and talking about them and I think doing that with the father's so important. You know, I do that with my son, but it's really important that he does for, it with my husband father too. To do that. And, yeah. it, and if your son is, you know, upset or, you know, to, to have the open space to say it's okay to cry or it's okay to be upset, you know. And I think with, with my little boy, obviously he's still a toddler, but we have that conversation with him. So when he's crying about something that is, he's allowed to cry about, basically bumped his head, whatever, we're very mindful not to say, oh, come on, you're a boy, don't mm. cry, you know. It's okay, you can cry, let me know when, you, when you're feeling a bit better and having that open conversation i think for boys yes there's that whole thing about football matches or let's go to cricket together or let's golf but actually you know just sitting down and painting a picture or just sitting down and having a chat you know if your child's a bit older going to the pub and not, the that's it and then, no, i've got a, a really wise girlfriend with four children that she's like you georgina she's just every time i see her i'm like just let me inhale all the information i can <laughs> i'm like can i do tiktok and she's like yep you can go now you can go now so okay say have you seen coral am i allowed it i'm like yep she says you can have <laughs> um but she, i always remember her saying little moments yeah. one-on-one doesn't little need to moments be exactly we, we touched on sort of the emotional side of things can we talk about bullying cyber bullying how we protect them how we tackle that with them i mean i'm sure you see people in your clinics young people in your clinics who were there with massive anxiety and damage over that what what advice do you do you give i think the first thing is to recognize it and talk about it so actually i do i've seen quite a few especially my nhs clinics post covid so you know parents coming in or a teenager coming in um and talking about how social media has given them anxiety or isolated them because of different things things like imposter syndrome or feeling that they're being attacked online and obviously when you're online 
you're going to say things that you probably would not say face to face in the real world, you know, so you're going to have people attacking you, keyboard warriors, talking about how you look, um, commenting on weight. And in clinic, you often see patients, you know, teenagers coming in with their parents, whatnot, who have been isolated or who are feeling anxious post social media. So I think it's important to firstly recognize the signs of it. And I always talk about how the family can help them. So, you know, if you're becoming more recluse, if you're going into a room, you're more down, your appetite's off, you're not eating, you're bothered about your weight, how your image is. These are all signs of where has this come from, you know, because it often is social media that's triggering that. It might be a TikTok video they've seen. It might be somebody attacking them on Snapchat. There's all sorts of groups and things that go on online. So I think, yeah, it's important to recognise it, start thinking about how we can have an open conversation as family and then also how to take time away from that social media source so that you're not being overwhelmed because I think youngsters, especially teenagers, feel the need it's almost like a social for them. They have to be online. They have to get onto Snapchat at a certain time or go onto TikTok and have this conversation or follow a certain video, whatever it might be, and everyone's commenting on it. So I think it's that trend trying to give them the information and giving them the space to have an informed choice. You don't have to be a part of that. And how can we slowly come away from it? But yeah, these are some of the more negative sides, I think, of social media that we see often. And following on that, we're also talking about bullying as well. What advice do you have from children who do feel victimised? I think it's important as well to stress that the definition of bullying is repeated. It's the repetition of that. I think that word is bandied around quite a lot. I just thought it's really important that children know that. I know that some some amount of, sorry, being teased and picked up is really normal. You know, I, I sort of say to my daughter when she's upset about something, I'm like, I wish I could make this go away, but... It, it won't, and you know, maybe you know. I still feel like you do about friendship. Sometimes I'm afraid it's sort of human nature. And well, the teasing is normal. There. Bullying is on another level, I think. I'm a trauma specialist as well, and in trauma, we say that being bullied is probably the worst trauma ever. And often, when I see that, say this to parents and the children who've been bullied, they're very shocked and they're like, "Why?" And I say, "Well, because if you're being, for instance, in a war zone, you know that the people throwing the bombs are the bad guys." If you're being tortured, you know the torturer is the bad guy. So you don't, you still blame yourself a little bit. That's the whole thing with trauma. But when you're being bullied, you're often being bullied by so-called friends. Because, you know, unless it's one bully who bullies everyone in the school, you're not affected. But it's usually best friends or close friends who then start ostracizing you, saying nasty things. They just, and, and so in order for your brain to make sense of that, the brain goes, oh, it's not them, it's you. You're the weird one. And unfortunately, a lot of parents actually ask their children as well when they say so-and-so has been mean to, well, what did you do? So that enforces the belief that something's wrong with them. And so it is a real trauma, and I think that schools need to be aware of that as well and kind of, you know, try and understand what's going on for this child and try and help the child to feel confident again and get out of that so-called friendship group and find another friendship group where they're actually nice to them. But, but yeah, the cyberbullying is something that is because then it's 24-7. Yeah, so then going on to cyberbullying, which is what you were talking about, Dr. Raj. Yeah, cyberbullying, I mean, how do you tackle that? You're hoping they share it with you, I suppose. That's the only way to tackle it, is really have that relationship with your child where they know that they can come and tell you so-and-so saying this about me, this is what they're putting in this group chat about me, this is what they're saying on Snapchat, they've posted this on about me, so that they come and share that with you and you can tackle it together. And you can, you can first of all say that it's not their fault, then you can go and talk to the school about it. I mean, there are lots of ways to tackle it. And our CEO this morning told me about this app, which has been developed called Erica with a K. 
Yeah, I've heard of that. And it's a very good app where you where it encourages young um, teenagers and young children to kind of go on the app and you decide like I want to be off social media for like two hours a day, and the screen is basically black, so you don't have access to it. And for every hour that you're off, you get points. And uh, they've done a partnership with View Cinema so that if you get, I don't know, nice. you this amount of points, you earn points yeah. and you can get free popcorn. And, you can, and that's really good. And if you could just, you know, tell your children about that and the parents can do it with the children and say, let's go for an hour a day and see how that goes. Let's go for two hours a day. But, you know, social, the worst thing about social media is children see their parents be on their phones 24-7. I know, yeah. I know. It's tricky that. It's directly <laughs> impacting them. Directly I think. impacting. The, the difference is, we, we, I mean, for me, I, I'm often working on my phone, so to be present with them, I mean, yesterday afternoon, I took them off for the afternoon school holidays, but I, I'm juggling two roles um, at work and being their mother. And actually, the only way I could take yesterday afternoon, I mean, it wasn't off, was on being on my email at the same time so it is difficult because it's kind of do as I say not as I do but I'm not sitting there just on Instagram all afternoon I'm actually responding to emails and looking at documents and so it's quite hard that isn't it because you you don't look like the best role model but you are actually using it for different purposes but I think also explaining that so just saying that I'm actually on emails and if I if if I wasn't for work I'd love to be out doing this 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 or that you know I think there's all the research there's a study done October 2021 I think Shadi you might know about this one all about social media and teenagers and young adults and it actually showed that um you know there's there are lots of positives of social media and technology uh, for teenagers but also you know doing something organic and something in the real world um you know shows a boost in mental health for youngsters so if you're giving them an alternative whether it's music dance classes somewhere to shake off their energy yeah, which is yeah. not snapchat or tiktok you know they're going to gain much more from it so apps like erica i think we're going to see a lot more you know in this tech space in the next uh, decade or so um are going to offset that the option so basically you don't have to be on social media what else can i do and what's my incentive for that because you're getting an immediate hit of endorphin when you get onto social media immediate we know that you know, from research so of course for a teenager who's got all these emotions flying around and hormones that's where they're going to go it's like you know it's almost like a drug for them it's like a happy yeah, place absolutely. until it becomes an unhappy yeah. place it's an addiction so where else do you take them or show them that you can do something else i think what you said about taking the kids off and doing other things and dad spending time in the pub with you know having a pint and having a laugh or a game of snooker going for a music lesson swimming whatever dance class whatever it might be horse riding these are all other things that are going to put you out um outside away from social media collecting your points on view and then you're going to go to the cinema and go and see your, you know with your friends and it just changes that narrative and i think that's where as a gp as you know as a family practitioner when i see families i'm like you need to find another way you know even if you're on the phone all day i mean my job is social media a lot because i do a lot of health content creation youtube tiktok instagram so i have to create content but i'm really mindful even around my toddler that you know when I'm home with him for those four hours before bed and everything, that my phone's not there. Because he will say to me, Mama, can you put your phone away? Or you know, last week, he was like, Mommy, can I put your phone in the bin? And when he said that to me, I was like, okay, you know, he's obviously telling me something. So I put it away. Yeah, I mean, but that's yeah. the difficulty. The little ones, you, you are physically modelling. Yeah. I feel like yeah. when they're, you know, my, my elder two, I'm now unable to say, look, if you want me to come on holiday with you for how many weeks this summer, I'm going to have to be part-time working. So I will be on my phone. That's the like... That's the trade-off. Otherwise, I can take two weeks off and i got to be in the office the rest of the time. So you know, they, it, I guess it's difficult because when they're little, you're, you are more physically modelling. Yours are Teenagers, 15 and 17. Yeah. I guess it's just like you're in a different place now. Um, but how have, you, how have you approached 
social media how have you protected them might have screen time do you or still so do you wait for them to sort of take over i think this is the bit which i probably got the most wrong because of covid because that was the only connection they had with their friends mm-hmm. and they both had their own phones and it was actually to me a lifeline um for them i mean my son was on Fortnite talking to three or four friends through the whole of covid having basically virtual play dates so it was an absolute dream the issue was breaking that habit mm-hmm. when we all you know emerged from our homes and you know we have had um obviously i'm not going to go into details but we've had some really unfortunate cyberbullying instances in our family and i think it's been the most challenging and i think it has had the biggest impact and i'm absolutely fascinated that you just said mm-hmm. about it's the biggest trauma that a child can go through and that that kind of just felt like a sort of wrecking ball moment to think god really because i you know you would think divorce death all these kind of major things wars but actually that is um i you know i still think there are repercussions and impact from things that have happened years ago unless you cut them off completely i don't know if there is i don't think there is a way you can 100 percent protect them can you protect them no help them deal with and process maybe that you can there's there's trauma treatments called emdr uh, which I do a lot of. And what is that? Uh, that is um, basically trauma treatment. It's a treatment that we do for trauma, and they digest, it helps the brain to digest the trauma they've been through. Then they get rid of this bad belief about themselves and they gain in self. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. confidence and you know but it can only happen if they're no longer in that environment so if they're still in the same school where they were bullied you can't do it I mean there's such formative years though aren't they and that's sort of where we started and I certainly had moments at school where you know I had like we all do many insecurities or character traits of myself I was aware that didn't necessarily endear me to others as as much as more positive traits might and other children, friends reacted to those, not necessarily in positive ways, you know, whether that was being bossy or, you know, whatever. But you, you still, I still think back to those moments and those feelings at school and being a teenager. And it's still like, and when I see my children now upset about friendships or, you know, a group's not been kind to them at a party or they weren't invited to that party. I mean, one of the most horrible things I've witnessed is my child not being invited to a party and everyone at the party sending them messages on social. Yeah. I mean, that was brutal to watch. A massive group of them and, and my child wasn't invited. And I'm like, 
oh, I feel like she'll remember that for the rest it's of her nice. life. That's, it's so triggering, And it's isn't normal. It? And I'm like, it's really normal not to be invited. Yeah. And, and I remember finding out I wasn't invited to something and it hurts. But I guess you then put social into the mix and you're like, it's like a dagger. I but think I what's harder though is play out. If, if it's, if something happens to your child, whatever age they are actually, but the teenage years are particularly painful, I think. And yeah. it triggers something in you, but you then don't want to react and project that on to them but it's such a highly emotional moment that you're not necessarily thinking in that way Mm. and I think often the way that you know if I can see one of my children hurting the way that I react probably is coming from some place of trauma that I've experienced because I definitely wasn't invited to all the parties and I've been picking up my six-year-old so this is way before from school once and she said I'm it's Bella's party and I was like and I went to someone and I was like, oh my God, have I got this wrong? And she said, oh, there's seven of them going. And I, and they were sort of her friends. And I got home and I just went into my bathroom and I just, and I cried and cried. And I rang my husband. He's like, what's happened? What's happened? I was like, she's not been invited to Bella's party. He's like, all right, Anne, I think we're okay. But, you know, it's, it is, it's heartbreaking. It? It's really heartbreaking. It's really hard to watch. And you can't do anything. You probably feel quite powerless in that moment. But then you put, you know, and then fast forward and they're 12 and it's happening and you're putting social media in the mix. It's just, it's just it's amplified social media restrictions screen time monitoring i'm looking at you georgina yeah this is not my area of expertise i mean hands up i honestly it's not great in our house that the kids come i'll call them for dinner and they i can hear tiktok coming down the stairs like you are able to leave your bedroom and enter the kitchen without your phone in your hand and they're going to the toilet you could leave the phone in the kitchen while you go to the loo before we have dinner you know it, yeah. it goes everywhere yeah with them yeah and I don't use my phone like that I don't walk around the house on my phone I use my phone I say you know I'm going to check Instagram for half an hour no, now I do it, I do I it, do it and it. then That's I put it down um and I do something else and and I just think that balance is hard and I definitely feel that's an area that mm. I have not put enough time and energy to and then you read about the people at Apple who don't let their kids have iPads until they're 16 and all that stuff. And you think, oh my because God, because they know, they, know, they yeah. know the dopamine hit and the, mm. addi- you know, I say to my kids, like, you know, that game has been developed by a gamer and a psychologist together so that they can make it highly addictive. addictive. Absolutely. Yeah. It's not just a coder sitting somewhere. It's, you know, and it's and all it, done to I think keep you so on it. I think it's so much harder when they get to, you know, like 17, 18, 17, 18, because they're not going to really be privy to you uh, minimising their screen time. I think when they're a bit younger, 11, yeah. 12, 13, if they are on their phones, I've got nieces um, and nephews and they basically have like locks on the phone so you can have screen time for so long and then you're, it's done, you know, and if you want to have long, you have to request for a code or Yeah, we, parents, we have so. that now and... and my husband introduced that when we were away at Christmas and, oh my God. How's that going for you? Yeah. <laughs> it was hell. <laughs> it was hell. And, and he obviously introduces these things and then off he goes. And then yeah, he's, you're left he's, to deal with it, yeah. He's gone. Not that I'm a stay-at-home mother. I mean, freaking hats off to stay-at-home mothers, my God. But I don't quite get to just walk out of the door like he does. And um, anyway, it was not a very easy time, let me tell you. But actually, he was like, I know this is right. And as much as I was like, you, you started this and now you get to walk off. I did know he was right. And he was right. For a few weeks, it was Otto's wants more screen time. Coco wants, you know, in constant, 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 constant requests. And then we were like, if we're on a car journey or you know, we're traveling, we will consider giving you more screen time. Other than that, it's also really useful. 
this is probably against the rules of, as a threat to take away when they don't behave. It's quite effective, actually. But it has been good and they have slightly learned to self-regulate a bit. And sometimes we'll get to sort of two o'clock and Otto will be like, oh, I've still got an hour and a half screen time left and Coco's run out. And it's like, bad luck. Yeah. <laughs> so it is good. And then there are certain apps you can restrict. Um, you're nodding. I think it's really important to have screen time. And, and, and what restrict. sort of limits? Is there, is there a limit? Well, it depends on the age right. and it also depends on the child. So some children aren't very addictive and they don't get addicted to it and they get quite bored. So for those, you don't really need to restrict. Some become very kind of um, addicted to it and you do need to restrict. But by explaining, not just saying, right, that's it. You need to explain why. And I think one of the important things is to make sure that the children don't have access to any of that from 8 o'clock onwards because, Mm -hmm. and they need to have their phones downstairs and not in their rooms because, you know, it does affect their sleep. And and when it affects your sleep, it affects your mental health. Yeah, 100%. And I think that that's even for adults, isn't it? For adults as well. All the studies show that, you know, blue lights need to be away. So when parents come in saying, oh, you know, I go past her or his room and it's the light. I'm like, but, but that shouldn't even be a thing, you know, like yeah, no, blue light away one hour, two hours before bedtime at least by 8 p.m. And then that kind of frees you up for the evening to have those conversations around mm. dinner, you know, exactly. to have time as a family. Whatever's happened the day has happened and then you're going to be calming all those emotions down before bed. Everyone's letting out how they feel and you're ready for bed and you're mm. kind of getting into a sleep routine, a sleep pattern. The children you see and the teenagers you see that have poor sleep and then poor mental health is a side effect of that are the ones that are probably up because they're having a regulation till 2am, blue light screen on their, you know, and they're tapping away and watching things, and which I think is unhealthy. Social media, 100%, I think it's needed. It's it's there. It's here to stay. It's going to be the future. But I think regulation of that, because we know the impacts on mental health are so important. So, yeah, like you said, screen time is important and restricting. Mm. It is so important too. Georgina, you know what time do your your children's phones... I'm asleep. Used to be really good. I did. I mean, they don't bloody go to bed. This is the problem now. I mean, I did hear a nice story actually the other day about what seems to be a new phenomenon amongst some teens, which I would be fully on board with for for mine. Is that when they go to a party, have a big tray or bowl, all the phones go in there. I love that. So they just have a really fun party. No one's messaging someone who's left out. No one's taking That's photos so of someone who's I drunk think... too much and embarrassing them in our youth idea. when we could do what we wanted because it wasn't being recorded. Yeah. You know, they actually just disengage and then they're in the room together. Yeah. So they're actually in the moment rather than, you know, I've seen groups yeah. of teens hanging out, whether it's in Nando's or in someone's living room, and they're all together on, on their, their phones. phones. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's really quite depressing. Well, I actually yeah. have my daughter's um, 12th birthday um, here at the office. They did a scavenger hunt. They lost points if they got their phones out. There were two team leaders. And if their phones came out of their pockets or their bags, they were docked points. That's amazing. Anyway, they then came back here and had a bit of fun in our studio. But anyway, we were, no phones are allowed out. And yeah, they had a great time. Far better. So yeah, I think that's a, that's a great shout. Can we talk about peer pressure? And I mean, it, it sort of leads on nicely from social media because I was quite strict about TikTok and Snapchat. I resisted for quite a long time. Um, but she kept saying to me, all oh, my friends have got them and all oh, my friends have got them. What do you do when children are telling you that other friends are getting things, other friends... Do you just stand true and, you know, stick to your morals? When you know your child, you know whether you can give them access to it or not or how early or how late you can give them access. I mean, TikTok and Snapchat are less, I'd say 
dangerous than Instagram. Instagram, I think you really can't go until you're well into your teenage years and where you can actually make your own decisions. And, and what's not be a so guide influenced. for Instagram? What do you say roughly? When you feel that your child is really mature, has a head over their shoulders and isn't going to go, oh God, I need to do that because so-and-so is saying it, you know, and not as influential as, and for some it's 13, for some it's 17, for some it's 20. You know, of course, you can't do anything when the child is 16 and they want to have Instagram, they have to have it. But then you have to have conversations because some are very influential and they get they get very influenced by all these social influences and, you know, about the eating and the dieting and the body image and all of that. And some aren't. They just they just think, well, actually, I'm very happy the way I am. So it depends on the child. Things like Love Island, that whole interplay between how they look and even treatments they're having are really apparent on Instagram. They might talk about them or they might be trying to sell stuff on there because that's their job. And I think for a teenager, if you haven't got a mature head on your shoulders, that can be very influential and actually detrimental to them. Because I've had, before the law came through of obviously minimum age of 18 for aesthetics and injectables, I would have 16, 17 year olds coming in saying, I want to look like this person or, you know, whatever. And, And we practice a very ethical aesthetics clinic. I spent a lot of time doing lots of psychological screening for them and saying no, no, no. And the answer was no you know, every time basically, because why at 16 do you need to really have lip, unless you've got beyond psychological issues with your appearance, which are vetted and you may have to have treatment for that. You don't really need to change your appearance. And every time it was because of a filter or something they've seen on Instagram or showing me a picture from Instagram, you know. How do we encourage them to make positive choices and and not... You know, following that yeah i think it's really hard but i think again like charlie said you have to have those open conversations yeah it's having honest conversations with your children non-stop all the time you know in the car when you're walking and you know not conversations about them particularly but but you know i often say to parents you know talk about oh i just heard on blah 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 that so-and-so thinks this is really right you know the kardashians was really big when my kids were growing up and they were obsessed with the Kardashians. And I thought, I just thought, what a waste of time. But then I thought, well, if I keep saying what a waste of time, they're going to get more obsessed about it. So I used to start watching it with them. And I actually thought, this is great. They're eating. All these women are eating. They're eating pasta. They're eating bread. They're eating bread. It's great. And, and I got a real sense of family. Yeah, a real yeah. sense of family. And I, and I yeah, used to say I mean, say the new them, series, I think, are excellent. I mean, they feel a very, I mean... The most brilliant media platform to launch all these businesses. It's really out of yeah. And I used to say, John, this is great. This is great. However, mm, not so sure about this. So you can influence yeah. your child. You know, if you know what they're up to, you can influence the them. Quiet, the quiet, oh, the quiet what, nudge. What happened, yeah. you know? Exactly. Yeah, or if you're, if what you're, happened, you know? Exactly. Or if you're watching um, the Kardashians and you're having a conversation, it's like, oh my God, Kim's done that. What do you think about that? And, exactly. you know, you're having an open conversation. I don't like her hair. Like, well, she's done this to her face or she's definitely had butt implants. You're having this conversation and then you kind of get... Planting You're planting the, the seeds. Planting seeds. Yeah. They're going to say, oh, mummy, I think this was great. Or the boy, your son my might say, was a very she looks hot. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> I, tried to leave, I tried to leave university and, and everyone went, bonkers in my family and she said come and chat to me and she said she said yeah I mean I get it I get it I mean I I was hungry to start work and I'd secretly gone off and interviewed at Foxton's to be an estate agent <laughs> in the days where you got a BMW I told my family they went mental and she was like come and chat to me and she was like yeah I mean I get it she said she said the only is you've got to pack up she said you could just go up and finish the finish the last term the first you can say goodbye to everyone pack your things up and then you know you start in a few months I was like yeah that's a good idea and off I went that was the end of it so yeah. you know yeah. she's she's uh that's yeah clever. planting the seed quietly put the carrots out and slowly they disappear but you know all of this takes time and energy and that's what I want to say to all parents is like so, invest in yeah. your children invest in them because you know plant these seeds 
Can we talk about body image, self-esteem? You touched on diet, Kardashians, eating. Gosh, I mean, I spent a lot of my teenage years counting calories. God, if I could tell my younger self to get a grip. But, you know, the chances are, I mean, there aren't many women who don't have some kind of body hang-up. It's pretty normal, isn't it? You have to keep it on the right side of normal. There's no, I also really believe there's nothing wrong with wanting to look good and your best, and that's different for everybody. And for Kardashians, it's having a big GCS. For someone else, it might not be. You know, that might be their biggest hang-up. We're all different, right? Um, what advice do you have? Well, I think... Yes, all women have had that. But with Instagram, you know, I think it's gotten 50 times worse. Because all these, you know, and it's funny because I work with a lot of, you know, top models and influencers and everything. And they all hate their bodies. I mean, they all look gorgeous. But when they come into the therapy room, what they talk about is how much they hate their bodies. And they can't stand it. And they wish they could eat a little bit more. And they can't. You know, so they all have problems. But, of course, online, when you look at them, you think, wow. Yeah. They're so happy. They're great. They know exactly what they're doing. You know, all these kind of like diet experts who, who give expert advice, they all have, yeah. uh, the ones I work with, all have some kind of eating disorder. You know, that doesn't come across on online. Instagram. Yeah. Does, it doesn't. Well, when I, whenever I take a picture, I'll take 30 pictures and then I'll crop them. And I'll just, I always say to my daughter, I'm like, look how many it took me to post one. So just remember. Just remember. Just yeah. Rem- and it's just, again, that. Plant, planting that seed and you know. planting the seed so you need to talk to them about all of that you know and about like diets and what's healthy and what isn't healthy and you know how you need to enjoy life is what I want to say enjoy life it's difficult though because you know I've got a 12 year old who wants to eat sweets all day really really wants to eat sweets all day and that's bad for her skin it's bad for her teeth you know the orthodontist she's got train tracks the orthodontist said that I can see in your gums that you're eating too much sugar and I'm sort of trying to not do the whole it'll make you put on weight it's excess energy but I'm also trying to make them understand in a gentle way you know energy in energy out you've got to move your body in that's better for your mental health not only your physical health not only your skin not only your it's hard that message isn't it because I think movement and being active is so much more than how your body looks it it impacts so much of our life so it's hard to get that across without worrying that they'll get hung up on their body size. Body. I think taking an approach which doesn't not necessarily talk about the uh, the appearance, maybe, and talking more about the health aspect of it. So, you know, excess sugar can lead to things like diabetes and poor heart health in the future. And of course, yeah. you're young right now and you're beautiful and everything's wonderful. But there'll come a point where maybe this will impact you in a way that, you know, you won't be able to do things that you want to do with your life or be as active or be as healthy. So I think that angle always works better because you're not focusing on their appearance, which yeah. is which is hard because in this day and age, everything is led by appearance, you know. Mm. And I think, um, and it, and and I do I do believe that your appearance has an impact on yeah, how you feel about yourself. I feel like really nervous course, yeah. to say that on a podcast, mm. but you know, no, it does. It, it, yeah. it, it does. does. You know, when when you've got a spot and your jeans feel too tight and you're pale and pasty and you haven't you know you don't feel your best self and i think owning that is important so saying like you know it might give you breakout or you you know your teeth might get rotten or whatever it might be is important but i think you know not always shifting the um weight on appearance also and trying to talk about other aspects of what that might do georgina you've got a 17 year old daughter yeah so i've been well my first thought is they're savvier than you think 
so I feel like my daughter is pretty clued up. What she loves about, say, TikTok is the it's so unedited. It's so raw. Mm. It's so that person walking along with their kind of, the hair's got stuck to the lip gloss or maybe like the mascara's running or something's just off. And she loves that. And Instagram is more curated mm. and presenting. But then she also follows accounts of people, influencers, all shapes and sizes. And I think that when I was growing up, it was magazine covers with kind of Cindy Crawford. And I feel like it was more damaging in a way where we had every photo was retouched, yeah. you know? Yeah, and I feel now, yeah. yes, there are filters, but they all know. I mean, she knew when she was 14 that she wasn't looking at a real image. Yeah. And I feel that actually... Yeah, 90s skinny Kate Moss... Yeah, I mean, we didn't know. Jodie Kidd was like, that's my teenage years. And we grew up watching Jodie Kidd walk down the wrong way. And that was was, heroin chic. Yeah. And then I remember hearing Kate Winslet talking about, you know, I've been so airbrushed on this magazine cover, I don't even have a nose. I've got two, like, holes, but the bridge of her nose had basically been retouched so much it wasn't even there. It was, and and she said, you know, they've taken me in here and she really called it out. So I actually feel that my life with magazines was worse and I think that I completely agree with everything you're saying about Instagram but I do think there is also so many cool people out there who are more more alternative there's more diversity in body shapes shapes and sizes and whether you're getting into the kind of LGBTQ and all these other sides of of um expression I feel like the kids will call me out and being say more judgmental about somebody because of I would say because of almost my upbringing and the era that I grew up in and kind of yeah, everything yeah. was like these are the boxes that everyone needs to fit in whereas I feel that that is less, less so boxy, now less boxy yeah, yeah definitely. but I think the the peer pressure on kind of what to look what to wear where to shop you know I mean with my son it's all about trainers <laughs> it's those sorts of things are still there yeah I mean and, they're pretty brand savvy aren't they yeah wow yeah yeah can we talk about substance abuse Georgina I'm looking at you why well, I wasn't glue sniffing 15 <laughs> 17 I used to love yeah. the smell of petrol when I was, when I was a child do you remember the days books. highlighters and petrol um, <laughs> can we talk about I mean vaping massively on the rise I mean I think we're not in that world yet we're not in the drinking certain you know or anything else stage yet with with our, you know, 12 is my eldest, you've got 15, 17. Yeah. God, that terrifies me. I sort of see them sitting on the common and how do you approach that again? Is it conversations again? Communication? Cross your fingers and hope for the best. I mean... I mean, it is conversations. I know my younger daughter was... was had lots of friends who did lots of drugs. Not my older daughter for some reason. Um, she was never really interested by it because she was freaked out to see their reactions. But we would talk about it for hours. Like she'd come home from a party and she'd be like, oh my God, and they did MDMA and her jaw was going like this and I'd talk about it and I'd say, oh my God, so tell me a bit more about this and that. It's about conversations and talking about, you know, what are the implications, you know, what happens when you do that and um, how you can lose control. But also know that, you know, teenagers will try things and it's okay. If they tried, it's absolutely fine. If they tell you about it and, and you do don't you make a big deal. do you say that? Do you say to them, I know you're going to try it, so... No, not that I know no. you're going to try it, because they may not. <laughs> yeah. But if you feel like trying it, let me know. My brother was always very curious, and this is way back. And whenever he saw someone doing something that was not good, he wanted to do it. So I grew up with a brother who wanted to do everything, try everything. You know, he did, and then he didn't like it, and we moved on. But I still remember at school... 
being in chapel and we all had to gather in chapel and this big screen was wheeled in and we were played the video about Leah Betts. She took an ecstasy tablet at a party on her 16th birthday. Yeah, she died. And died and I think it was the fir- it was the first and only time and it terrified us enough. Mm. She'd never taken ecstasy pill. And do you think fear is a good way to go? I mean, should well, we expose them to that? I mean, it genuinely worked. We start to booze and fags. And, you know, I'm not saying that's great either, but, you know, I what's... Think it's, I think it's really important to talk about those things, actually, and say, I've heard about someone who, you know, of course, with my work, I can make up stories as well and say, you know, I've got a client who did this and he had a psychosis and he was freaked out afterwards and blah, blah, blah. But I do say that to my clients and I say, and these true stories, some made up, mostly true, You when you talk about things that have happened to other people so you're not necessarily saying this will happen to you yeah you're not lecturing them you're not lecturing you're just saying oh i remember someone who did this and oh gosh yeah and that happened oh and then they get interested and it does put them off absolutely as a gp we do that all the time so you're just telling them you know this is the health risk and i don't say don't you know if a teenager comes in 16 17 head on shoulders is quite you know has autonomy i'm like you know you you can you can do xd if you want to or mda whatever you want to do but cocaine but just letting you know there's a you know high risk of this, this, this happening and people die. I've had lots of patients who've died from it or have done excess. Not to say that alcohol won't kill you in excess as well, but obviously, you know, a glass of alcohol is not going to be as harmful as, say, a dodgy ecstasy pill. You know, if you want to take that risk and not be here tomorrow, then that's... And, and normally that's enough, I think, for a sensible yeah. child to say, I think I'll stick to a drink of alcohol and, you know, take do that, or I'll go for a vape, you know. Um, and obviously vaping is on the rise, so that's... Well, yeah, thing. where do you stand on vaping? When you're in uh, thinking about it as a doctor, so as a GP, it's a step down, okay? So vaping's introduced as an e-cigarette so that you have less risk. Remember, traditional smoking can cause up to 10, 15 cancers. So you're trying to bring people away from the traditional smoking, reducing their risk with vaping. It's a step down. Um, that's not to say there's no other risks associated with vaping we just don't know fully what those risks are there's definitely toxic chemicals involved all these different flavours they're having there's nicotine so you're still addicted but actually it is a step down measure so it is it is so what right. I say to patient, patients and you know teenagers who come in I say look why are you vaping because if you you're going to get addicted because there's nicotine in there but also you're probably putting yourself at you know um, the studies to show risk of heart and lung conditions in the future so it's not as safe as it's made out to be it's not as environmentally friendly you know disposable vapes are plastic and inflammable and all those kind of things so if you know and now it's quite trendy to be like you know want to be all about the environment or youngsters mm. think about that so that's another angle you can yes. use and say actually it's not and and someone said to me that the danger is that one vape is sort of 600 cigarettes and the trouble is they'll with a cigarette you smoke one to the end I guess you it is the danger that you vape so much. All day, you vape yeah. all the time. All day. All the so time. You're sitting there vaping away, you know, you you're vaping indoors, you're vaping outdoors and all these things and I think So one vape is the equivalent of how many or is it not well like that? I, it depends because the, what the, what's hard to quantify, I think there's been there's actually talk about a legal ban in the UK from the councils on by twenty twenty four for vaping. Because, banning it entirely. Yeah, there's a talk, it hasn't happened yet, but they're talking about it because oh, it's not actually, banning from a certain age. No, they were saying they were saying to ban uh, Can it, disposable what age vapes. do you have to be to buy a vape? I think you have to be like 16, 16 to, buy, I think, I think. to buy a okay. vape. Yeah, but, but um, that's assuming the shop is enforcing that. Oh, for sure. There's for lots sure. of laxity, I would say. And there definitely are 12, 13-year-olds who are vaping. And I, you know, some of my patients are doing that. And parents have brought them in. Doctor, can you talk to them? Or they might come in themselves and ask. So I think there's, there's lots of um, health repercussions because we don't know, really, what toxic chemicals are in the flavours, how they're being, you know, created. What's happening is that idea is being misused by teenagers and they're all going out there now and vaping all these different flavours and it's becoming trendy and cool and they're vaping all day 
And I guess the next decade, we're going to see a lot of fallout from that. Yeah, it's interesting, the vape conversation, because what has struck me from the kind of little research that I have done is the different standards around producing the the vape itself. And I had a conversation with a friend recently, and she's got a just turned 15 year old. And she said, I know she's going to go to parties and they're all vaping. I've seen them all vaping out and about. So I know they're all vaping. I'm going to buy my daughter the, what I think is the best, least toxic, least harmful, not made in, you know, in China somewhere, but maybe actually has some kind of um, CE mark on it even, or just something. So I know that what she, and so then I've told her, you must only smoke your own vape. Don't share vapes, don't vape off someone else's vape because that might be the the most toxic vape out there because there are different levels. Is that right? That's correct, yeah. So it's not it's not being monitored. There are companies that are, you know, official vaping companies who are producing the vapes. Obviously a lot more expensive. Lots of teenagers can't afford that. Yeah, so, so they're they, going for the cheaper There's the candy flavor the candy things flavor. Like you say, which are full of the chemicals. That's it. Disposable vapes are pl- one use plastic with infla- they're inflammable. So even to dispose of them is costing the the, the government millions billions of pounds so lots of issues around vapes and I, I agree if you're if you're talking like we said before about alcohol versus ecstasy versus vape you know i'm not going to say don't vape it's going to be really bad for you but i think those choices you're making about which kind of vape where you're purchasing the vape from what's in the vape liquid you think that's good advice i think it's important to know what's going on for a child's buying a vape what are they buying it where they're buying it from and what's inside that um the juice that they're putting in mm-hmm. you know the actual yeah. fluid and is there is there a brand that's a that you know of that's better than others? Honestly, no, because I think what we do is, as doctors, is we give them step downs. We'll say, you know, if you're going to go and vape, this is where you should go to a vetted vaping centre to do that. Or, you know, we'll be telling them where to go. You can often go okay. to one and find out. But I think when when you're looking at teenagers, they're not going to like a... No, they're e-cig- They're not going to an e-cigarette place they're buying to get... A they're buying it, a watermelon something yeah. or getting it from a friend. Yeah. Um, Georgina, just on the subject of... Exy tablets versus alcohol, cigarettes, vapes. Yeah. When, how much? Any advice you've got on, on yeah, substance I mean, all my daughter went to Reading Festival last bank holiday, as in last summer, kind of GCSE rite of passage. That was quite a terrifying prospect from the drugs point of view because I knew that she hadn't been in environments where there had been drug taking. And I, I know I can say that thinking I knew. I genuinely really don't believe because I know her circle of friends. Yeah. Um, Whereas this was something that was going to be completely, yeah. you know, rite of passage moment, unmonitored. I was actually more worried about things like spiking. Mm. Oh, um, this yeah. just fills me with absolute terror. Well, the spiking in the drink, but you Kevin can't. in a box to put Yeah, in the... well, I think we did a bit of kind of role play. If you are in a situation where everyone in the tent is doing this, what do you, what might you say? Or if you do want to try it, you know... There are some things you can try where, obviously, if you're smoking a joint, you're having a couple of puffs. But if you take a pill, that whole pill is in your system and you can't get it out. So you, you might want to And you don't think, know what's in it. And you don't yeah, know what's in that's it. That's the fear. Yeah, and it's sort yeah. of, I don't know, it's hard. I don't think, I don't know what the right answer is. I don't know if there is That really. is the right answer, no, to talk answer. to them about the, about the dangers, talk to them about it. But you I've know? also had the conversation, um, because I think, I think there tend to be more boys who might... Yeah. Um, be interested as particularly around smoking mm. weed and things like that and if that sort of comes in with the sort of the ADHD side of it and actually I do know a couple of people who later in life sort of 20 years later have had um, psychosis yeah. as, and, I've, mm-hmm. and I've read about celebrities so having, talking about it having so having smoked younger. heavily say from about 15 to 25 that mm-hmm. classic kind of teen teenage years heavy heavy smoking and then stopped and then created a life and then sort of 10 years later 
it sort Absolutely. of comes back. Yeah, schizophrenia. Yeah. And when when I've told my son that story anecdotally of two friends of friends that I know, he has been um, horrified. Like, horrified. Absolutely mm-hmm. horrified. I mean, those kind of conversations are much more efficient than saying, don't do it, it's dangerous, blah, yeah. blah, blah. It just goes over their heads. Yeah. Yeah. We need a little book with all these stories. We can yeah, read them at bedtime. Bedtime story, darling. <laughs> We're going to do the one about psychosis. Today. <laughs> can we talk a little a bit about the LGBTQ community, how we encourage, you know, inclusivity, support, you know, whether it's, our own children or their families. What would I mean, you say I think that's on, something on... that's great with this generation is they have a lot of acceptance. Yeah, mm. it's, it's yeah. They just take it in their stride, whatever, and I love that. And totally and, and parents should just go with it. Yeah, really, it's as simple as that. They don't question it. They accept it. You know, I've got a client who was a she. Then he said he wanted to be a he. Then he said I want to be a they. Now they've gone back to saying I'm a she, mm. and all within two years. Mm. And, and I think as a parent, you have to just go with the, the less. Curve. Yeah, and I know a similar she to he, and back to she, and and you know all is well. I'm not saying it's well because she is a she again, but I'm saying you know you just have to roll with it. You know, I, I think of my stepmother. You know, don't rise, just but come and chat with to it, me about roll it. with it is different to encouraging it. I totally agree with you. You know, that's very different. So I was working... Because that's confusing for a child, I I think, when they've got so much flying around. Yeah, Exactly, exactly. And that's why, um, you know, some of the clinics, like the Tavistock Clinic NHS, they've closed now because they just said this is getting out of hand. We've got nine-year-olds coming in and the parents are saying, give them hormones. So I think there's one thing to accept it. There's another thing to forcefully encourage something. Absolutely, absolutely. I think physiologically, you know, the, the children are changing at that age, so they're going to have these questions about identity about you know what their preferences are whether it's their first experience maybe a feeling you know a certain way when it comes to the opposite sex or themselves so I think it's really normal to let them explore and to be there in a non-judgmental way and often you know the whole Tavistock Square thing was a big deal because we were referring as GPs to yeah. that, and it always didn't really sit well with me because you know parents would come in and say my eight-year-old needs to go to Tavistock Square and we would have a lot of criteria to run through and talk about and I often would say that's fine that they're exp- expressing that sit with it you know have those conversations mm-hmm. let it be if if it's five six years down the line and they're still feeling this certain way or whatever it might be then we can think mm-hmm. about what to do but i think to immediately jump on it is probably not the right thing to do and mm-hmm. i don't think encouraging or discouraging is right either it's just accepting it's just being inclusive and like um like you said uh, georgie it's actually i think the current teenagers and the current sort of you know generation are very accepting yeah in fact, unfazed. yeah, my niece will be telling me in a really admirable way. Yeah, it's, and they just and they'll tell you that's normal. You know, that's, yeah. I, my niece was saying to to my mum, so um, the grandmother. Oh, my, my, that's completely normal, yeah. Nana. That's what happens now. And actually, you know, it le- like, it leads into the fact that yeah. you know, truly, we're in an era where you can be whoever you want, want to be, be. Yeah. and that that is wonderful. The freedom for that is liberating for that generation. It comes with a lot of challenges. Um, but also a lot of liberation, which is great. Can we end on family and the importance of family dynamics and what an important role? Uh, And we touched on it slightly earlier with the boundaries and having somewhere to come home to where you feel safe. But what advice do you have for parents striking a balance, raising independent children, 
you know, providing a loving home. And I, I remember going to a talk at my children's school that said, um, this is many years ago, it said children need a strong work ethic, resilience, and to know that they're loved. And it always stayed with me. I thought it was really powerful. What would you add, Dr. Raj, about I, I the importance of the family unit? I love that. I think um, for me, obviously having my own family unit and having a second one soon, I think nurturing not raising is important so you're not going to dictate what you your values and that's quite hard not to do i think sometimes mm. deflect those so everything you were not and everything you were does not need to be what your child is going to be and that's been quite hard for yes, me yes it's quite an awakening when yeah. you think your child yeah. is going you think you're going to put your own or husband's genes together and it will produce yeah the best X. of both of you, you. yeah and then you're like what, <laughs> what? are you mine so you have an expectation and you want your child to become that expectation that's hard hard not to do yeah but that's important so you're nurturing a child and i think what you said there is complete i say this all the time resilience is key it's we all talk about openness discussion encouraging not judgmenting but we also want them there to be a resilience to cope with life because life isn't easy you know and if we're just going to keep saying it's okay i'm here i always say i can't fix everything i wish i could but they've got to find their own way and Mm -hmm. i think resilience is something you can't give to somebody they've got to go through life's experiences and learn how to be resilient from that Mm. and i think if you're allowing them to make those good choices the bad choices and just being there for them they're going to get a level of resilience they're going to have their own mindset so i think nurture resilience love and some boundaries are important that's what i would say Mm. and some hard work oh yeah good work ethic they've got it they've got it yeah they've got to know it's not all on a plate no to graft yeah and we we know Research shows from many, many years back that resilience comes from a good attachment to your attachment figure. So it is nurturing. Mm -hmm. So when you do nurture and the child feels that they are loved and they're supported, they do have resilience. That's just the way it is. If you're not loved and you don't feel attached to your parent and you you don't have resilience, no matter how much you throw them out into the world and say, go off and do your best, they can't because they don't have that core. Mm -hmm. The grounding. The grounding. I was just, yeah. It's like what I said earlier about you go away for 10 years and then you're 30, like 30, 35, and then you go back to your yeah. parent because you have a nurturing bond. So yeah, it's lovely. So you go back and yeah. say, mummy, this is now annoying me. And then you get more resilient because you had a conversation. Yeah. So it's that whole to and fro yeah. for the rest of your life. Yeah. Mm. I actually read a quote from Michelle Obama, who has a book came out last year and it was to do with kind of lessons from her parents and she had said that her mother said to her I'm not raising children I'm raising adults and it's just really stayed with me particularly these teenage years that that and I feel like that encapsulates certainly the resilience the work ethic but I want you know that's what you want to see wonderful walking out the door happy adults yeah yeah Yeah. because you can make a child happy give them some sweets (laughs) it's harder to make a young adult happy yeah Words of wisdom uh, from you all. Thank you so much, ladies. I feel like we could go on and yeah. on and on. Anyway, you can find out more about the Soak Clinic and the Face Bible in the notes below. Thank you so much, ladies. Thank um, you. Thank you for having us. Thank you for joining me. That's it for today. If you enjoyed that, found that useful, then do please tell your friends to listen to. And we will be back soon. Thanks very much. Bye bye. <laughs>
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. 